Hey, welcome everybody to Freight Forecasting. I'm Michael Vincent, Freight Forecaster here with Freight Waves. Freight Forecasting is a show that uh, we do Thursdays at 4 p.m. Today is a special edition for the uh, GTT, the Global Trade Tech uh, uh, Conference uh, virtual event. And <clears throat> the show is basically, is not basically, but the show, the point of the show is really to talk about data, the different disparate data sets, how you can utilize those, what you need to really freight forecast what is a freight forecaster? Who should be freight forecasting? What does it look like from the different perspectives of the different uh, industry participants, the shipper, the intermediaries, the carriers, uh, the ports or, or gateways, uh, and throughout all the different modes, air, rail, ocean, surface, uh, truck load, et cetera, and bring those together and generally through a sonar picture, because that's what I use here at Freight Waves, uh, but there are other pictures as well. Today, I have the pleasure of having the founder of Turvo uh, and best of show winner in our demos yesterday, uh, Def D'Angelo, he's joining me today. Jeff, welcome to the show, thank you for being on. Thank, thanks, Michael. Uh, thanks, Freight Waves, by the way, for putting this on and having us be a part of it. Excellent, excellent. You're more than welcome. A great demo yesterday. I love what you guys are doing there at Turvo, Jeff, and I love your background and your story. Can you give a little bit uh, of flavor here to give a little perspective to the audience on, on you know, your background, not only your background, but Turvo, why Turvo and what you guys are doing? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, Jeff D'Angelo, one of the co-founders of Turvo. So this is my 19th year in supply chain and logistics. Um, you know, we started Turvo six years ago, and we had been talking about building a platform like this or a network ecosystem like this for many years before that. And for those that you don't know, that don't know a lot about Turvo, um, we look, we really looked at the supply chain and said, what are the issues? What are the problems? What are the sort of um, things that cause people to spend money on things to help their organization? And all these things came down to, to really one thing, Michael, and it was the fact that there was no common tool set for really people to work together. And so um, we looked in the sort of consumer world and we said, what's out there in the consumer world that we can apply to this industry? You know, uh, we saw technologies like Facebook and LinkedIn that really got a lot of traction around these, these network concepts. And as the technology started graduating and get, getting better over time, we realized that if we apply a network sort of technology to the ecosystem, there's a whole bunch of problems that we can solve um, really in an elegant way. And so we've been at this about six years, uh, and we work with some of the largest customers in the world and really some of the most forward-thinking CEOs in the world um, around how do we digitize the supply chain ecosystem. I think that your folks talked about network and, and Kendra Phillips and and obviously, Kendall Scott from Turbo talked about the, this idea of ecosystem. That's really what we're doing is, is we're digitizing ecosystems so that organizations can work together in a much better way. Yeah, it's an excellent way to put it, digitizing the, the ecosystem of, of logistics supply chain uh, more, uh, more broadly uh, or accurately, I should say. So let me introduce the subject matter of what we're going to talk about today. So we're really talking, um, it's a number of different things, but really talking future-proofing or improving the resiliency of the supply chains and what you guys are doing there at Turbo. It's a, it's a great subject. It's something that you're heavily involved with. 
and something that everybody is very, very interested in, obviously, but really talking about specifically um, collaborative nature or collaborative efforts and practices uh, between businesses, uh, whether they be competitors or vendors uh, and suppliers to each other. Um, and, and data transparency and, and how to prep that data and how to actually make it actionable. Um, we've heard some many, from many industry leaders uh, yesterday and today, and just to quote a, a few of those to set the stage, really, Jonathan Wright was a cognitive reengineering practice at IBM. You know, you're talking about the lack of real-time information um, previously, the lack of real-time collaboration. Um, we maintained our planning based on historical, historical models, historical needs. I remember when I was at Roadway Express many, many years ago, we had sheets of paper that we had printed out uh, charts on, and you had to enter up to 50 different metrics every single day. And we had them historically by every terminal, and as terminal operations managers, and uh, we, we looked at those to predict what was gonna happen on specific days moving forward. Now, that was the early 80s that we were, we were doing that type of stuff, but even then we saw the need for that data and planning, but it was based all on historical. We're talking about moving forward. Gene Soroka talked about digitization of the port uh, and the port optimizer that they're, that they're doing there in the port of LA. Um, even Heather Sheehan uh, of Awesome was talking about the ability or the, the traditional supply chain was not flexible or resilient and it was exposed during the pandemic. It exposed different uh, um, industries in different ways as some saw a huge flex up, some dropped off the grid, et cetera. As you know, some of them were essential and deemed essential, that type of thing. And even going into Sonar with Craig uh, Fuller and um, Zach Strickland as they were announcing 7.2 and bringing in the new ocean shipments by the top 100 importers, um, that is real-time data that Sonar brings to you, that FreightWaves brings to you, that is ingestible through API, which we'll talk about. Uh, and gives you that ability to really benchmark your performance, uh, dispel false negatives and false positives, really monitor what's going on in your vertical and other verticals, different modes and how they're going to affect your mode uh, today, tomorrow, next week, and, and predictions out into the future. And what he was talking about were these data sets that we had brought into there that made it a, even more global. We've had uh, some ocean uh, dashboards and the uh, Freitos Baltic Index as far as the, the rates, air cargo, et cetera, inside of sonar, but we got more specific with the actual imports by top 100 uh, importers in the United States. This is all data that can feed into what you're talking about. Am I correct, Jeff? Absolutely. And it, you think about standardization of data, you know, Michael, we talked about this, I think, off the air. Uh, you know, it really starts within within the four walls of your organization, really making sure that you have the cleanliness of data. But as you talked about, um, there needs to be sort of standardization across these different organizations and really in the industry. You know, take, um, you, you know, I guarantee most people that work with, let's say, Walmart have literally four or five different definitions of who and what Walmart is based off of their spelling, right, even within the four walls of their organization. So when we talk about all this great data and bringing all this stuff together, it, it, it's really, we're not really going to realize the sort of um, the impact of it in an incredible way until we make sure it's sort of clean, it's standardized, and you can share it with ease uh, sort of in real time. 
Yeah, those are excellent points, and and it really speaks to what we're going here. We're digging a little bit deeper into this into this this uh, this subject matter here. Uh, you know, even uh, the so many different disparate data sets that we ingest here at at uh, Freight Waves, bringing that stuff in, and one of the reasons that uh, many of those are next day and not in real time. There's no intraday movement in some of those. Is, is the nature of that. It's not standardized data across the board, as, as you said, is something that is very important internally. But even if you sta and standardize it internally, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's standardized enough to share with other systems, right? That's right. And if you're, if you're large enough to have multiple systems, uh, and you have to, let's just talk about integrations for a second. You have to integrate across different sort of systems of record, um, or the fact that many uh, organizations, as they grow, they might buy or purchase systems of record for different parts of their business. Many times those different parts of their business, and I'll give you an example, if I have a trucking company and a 3PL and a brokerage, maybe I'm doing managed transportation. If you look inside each of those different systems, they might all have different definitions of the same data set. And so as you integrate between those systems, you need to sort of have a common data layer that standardizes that set across all of them. And, and I think uh, unless we, we do some of those standards internally again, you're not going to see the real impact. Yeah, those are solid points. And, and even, even past that, you have these uh, anomalous data sets or these anomalies that happen within data sets where they need to be cleansed at specific times, right? We, we, uh, for instance, let me let me give you an example. I'm sure you understand this, but for the for the audience, um, the you know we were seeing an anomaly in a certain section of the of the country that occurred every week at a specific time and was would, was was throwing off some of the data. Now it wasn't going through publishing; we were scrubbing it clean. What we found was that it was it was merely a a company somebody had lost a uh, a a a uh, freight management bid, yet the tenders were going out and, and you, had to, you had to cleanse it. Now our data scientists, we have 20 PhDs, et cetera, were able to identify this very quickly, so our data going out is, was not affected by this. But unless you have those, you're not going to see that type of stuff. So scrubbing that data and having it clean and, and looking for those anomalous, anomalous events or, or, or statistical anomalies is important as well, is it not, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you have to you have to sort of get into the predictive nature of, you know, when are those anomalies going to happen? What are those anomalies going to be? And sometimes it's trial and error, right? In, in the beginning, you might not know that this is going to be an issue, right? You don't you might not know that, you know, certain data sets might be sort of um, challenges in the future, right? And so something will spike, and then you learn, right? You think about machine learning; you're literally taking a snapshot of all the data sets over time so that the machine starts learning. So once you get that data set, maybe that becomes an anomaly and you talk about the, um, you know, sort of the, uh, the level of confidence, you know, will increase over time as you get better and better at, at teaching the machine really what the outcome should be. Yeah, that, that's an ex that's a, a a very good a very very good point. And not only that machine, but when we talk about siloed data and siloed um, um, uh, the siloed data from between the different verticals and your different uh, uh, players that are along the supply chain, we also talk about the the siloed nature of the 
the people within those organizations and within those different verticals and getting them on board with, with that data, right? Uh, there's, you know, if you get all this data and analyze it and do nothing with it uh, or don't have the ability to do it, uh, then, it, then, it's, then it's worthless. So can you talk to the siloed nature of people and their acceptance of this data? Yeah, the, the larger the organization, obviously, the more the, the more challenges you're going to have there, right? We talk about transformation. Um, I was listening to Kendra Phillips, the writer, talk yesterday about, you know, what, what allows them to not only make the technology change with within their four walls, but also, you know, sort of their ecosystems. And it sort of takes people, it takes process, it takes technology to, to sort of make these changes. And I think many organizations are set up to really focus on one part of their business at a time versus looking holistically at how do I solve problems within my organization as a whole versus looking at it unit by unit, right? If I'm looking at the asset side versus the, the transportation management side, not even on the shipper side, right? On the shippers have the same silos, especially as they grow and they acquire companies, you have all these siloed technologies that do the same thing. And so if you're looking holistically, um, you need to be able to drive not only the technology, but the data, the people, the process um, to really get the value from, from the change. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree, uh, couldn't agree more. And we've seen that with the likes of uh, what, uh, like Maersk recently with uh, their shedding Safe Marine and bringing that in-house and, and uh, the freight forwarding in-house, et cetera. That would be an example of, of really they took the opportunity. The, the, the time is right. The environment is very good, obviously, for uh, marine carriers, for, for maritime carriers, and really took that opportunity to create more efficiencies is, is the play there, correct? Yeah, I, you know, you have sort of this idea of customization internally of services that a lot of companies have done over time. You think about the supply chain, one of the biggest problems for logistics service providers that I've seen, at least covering organizations that I talk to, is this idea of customization of services along the ecosystem. And, and that drives a lot of customization in the technology, again, the data sets, the services they provide, et cetera. And I think you really have to get organizations with forward-thinking uh, forward leadership that can say, hey, look, you know, we want to create sort of a productizable service that we can take to market, right, to solve problems in, in a much more broad way so that we can touch the data set, you know, at the beginning of the supply chain all the way to the end and back, right? Because we, you know, we think about things like food traceability, or we think even, you know, you talk about COVID. I, I didn't want to talk about COVID today, but think about as we, we, we get some of the medicine that's related to COVID, and you've got to track that, you know, throughout the ecosystem and supply chain. You've got to know where it starts and where it ends. And over the last five or 10 years, up until now, technology within the four walls of a company, and then as you extend it beyond the network, it's almost impossible to sort of track that data and there's no standards around it. And so I think um, as you start looking holistically, now you have to look at your partners and say, how do we collectively as a group come together and start this standardization layer? Um, and it might involve more insourcing for certain customers. It might involve um, sort of providing a, a productizable, non-customized service. Um, so all of these things will be the effect of a lot of the standardization that goes on. 
Yeah, as, as we talk about this standardization, we talk about collaboration between, and I've got some notes here from our previous talks. Our collaboration, you know, the collab we talk about the collaboration between uh, internal verticals, external verticals, um, and it's obviously essential to make this happen after you've got this standardization, or actually during, I suppose, the standardization of, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, the data sets you've got to get this collaboration of people over these type of uh, these type of things internally and externally what are those hurdles there you know you, you mentioned um, you know technologies that provide a wrapper concept and, and that type of stuff can you dive into that a little bit well if you start with a problem right and the, the problem statement around sort of the standardization starts with the uh, a couple different things number one is you've got Typically, organizations buy in silos, even within their organization. I think I talked about that before. Mm -hmm. So your 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 trans your uh, sort of uh, asset based unit is buying technology just for their assets. Your managed transportation is buying just for your managed transportation. Your brokerage is buying for your brokerage. Your you know name your favorite sort of system of record. So so that's number one. Um, number two, in order to solve the problems in between those systems. You know, there might be a point solution or two that organizations buy, right, to solve one or two specific problems, not really looking sort of holistically at how do we bring all these things together. And I'll give you a couple of examples of problems that occur in that where you might have an asset division that um, has an available truck, right, available capacity. And in many organizations, you know, to think of 3PLs, that cannot be shared back to the managed transportation group, right, right, which is why you know, the utilization might be really bad. Um, think about um, sort of this historical idea of the fact that uh, not sharing data, Michael, is supposed to be sort of a competitive advantage, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. In, in, in traditional managed transportation brokers, et cetera, I'm not going to be transparent. Therefore, I want to make more money, right? I don't think the world is going that way. And, and I think what we find is a lot of organizations try to just monetize that spread, think about brokerage or think about, I want to make as much money on that thing as possible versus saying, how can I affect the entire ecosystem so all boats rise? And you really have to be um, forward thinking as an organization and as an executive leadership, whether you're shipper, 3PL, broker, carrier, it doesn't matter, to really look down and say, what does the future look like? If the future is, you know, autonomous vehicles, it's, if it's sensors and IoT everywhere, if it's, you know, people are doing different jobs that maybe not what they do today, and it's mostly technology driven, because as you know, I, you know, the machine can probably play way more chess than you and I could play. Right. Then, then I think, then I think you have to start thinking about how do you set up the entire organization for those five or ten or fifteen years down the road, where things are going to be different. And if you're caught now saying, you know, I want to continue to do the things I'm doing today, you're going to get run over. Now, you're also getting competitive pressures, right? I think up until now, you didn't have a lot of digital players. So there was very stagnant sort of innovation in the space. Now, you know, I remember six years ago when we started the business, no one used the term collaboration in our industry. No one. Right. And now... It seems to be everywhere, and people are starting to understand, at least trying to define what collaboration means. And so as we get the market moving in that direction, you're going to see some of the forward-thinking leaders that are saying, 
I got to get a, I got to get ahead of this. But traditionally, they haven't, right? They've been they, they've been operational businesses that are trying to make it, you know, money and trying to hold their data. And frankly, they're trying to build their own stuff. When in terms of whether it's portals or something else, and they haven't really thought through. A lot of them haven't thought through what is the future of this industry and how do we all sort of get together to make it better. Yeah, they're kind of stuck in that paradigm that, uh, like you said, that you know, having and keeping a hold of your own data and not sharing with anybody, being kind of walled off, gives you some sort of competitive advantage. But you know, you, we've I think people have realized that even you know the biggest players on the block have about two percent of the two and a half percent of the domestic data, and that's really siloed into specific verticals uh, where they they really shine those niche markets that they have. And, you know, having that broader market data like you can get through, uh, you know, uh, freight waves and that transparency is essential even to the biggest players, correct? Yeah, I, again, that, that's an area where all boats rise, right? Yeah. And, and you think about, you know, being a part of that data set to help your users to get smarter about, you know, when to make the best decision for your company. It's not, to your point, it's not going to be done on a, a spreadsheet anymore. Right. No. It's not going to be done by making up, picking up the phone and saying, what's the price? It's it's going to be picked out over time by a machine. A machine's going to do the work. A machine's going to book the truck. A machine's going to buy the buy, buy the capacity. A machine's going to do do this. And you have to set up your infrastructure to be able to support that. And as a leader, you've got to buy into to products, you know, like Sonar. You've got to buy into sort of technologies that can enable and unlock your business in a different way than you've done traditionally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we're talking about hurdles in making this happen in this collaboration. And we've talked about, you know, the paradigms of this is the way we've done it. And many of us grew up in that. I've been in the industry 34 plus years. Uh, and so I grew up in those in those times throughout collaboration was a was a, was a bad word. Right. Um, now we're talking about this and people are getting it. And that's really the first re, re, the first movement forward is, is having these disruptors, as I, I guess you would call yourselves, right? At least six years ago, you, you were certainly a, a leader in, in disrupting. Um, but is it more of uh, looking at disruption as more of a two, it's not really a two-sided coin, it kind of is, but it's not a 50-50 split. You can, you, can, you can affect that outcome by having these discussions and, and, and being accepting of what we're talking about here today, right? I mean, you can either be disrupted or be a disruptor, but that, that's not necessarily the case, is it, Jeff? Uh, so the only constant in, in life is is change, right? This industry is going to continue to change. And either you're a part of that change and in front of that change, or you're not. And if you're not, you know, you're, you're in a world of hurt. You're going to be in a world of hurt for a long time um, or a really short time if someone sort of eats your lunch on the competitive side. Right. And so, um, and, and, you know, I, I think if you gravitate towards the change, if you gravitate towards sort of the, the future of what technology is allowing us to unlock, right, then I think it's a good thing. If you're sitting, if you're sitting still on your horse and you're not going to the automobile, you know, it's, it, it's not going to be good for business. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be good for business at all. I agree with you 100%. So, hey, let's I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to sim I'm I'm not trying to I'm trying to simplify it, right? Where No, I get it. I get it. A lot of, a lot of people, you know, that we talk to, um, 
you know, literally want to do the same thing and they just want to do it faster. And I think the important thing is that, you know, they look at this change as an opportunity for them to not only grow their business, but, you know, sort of grow their footprint and impact in the industry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let, let's, uh, we've, we've got about, uh, I don't know, eight, seven minutes here, and we want to get to the end prize here. So we're going through the, you know, the standardization of data has got, is, is very difficult, obviously. And then the anomalous nature of data where you've got to have it scrubbed and clean and it's got to be, it's got to be uh, good data because the whole thing falls apart, Jeff, does it not? If the first time the data's wrong. I mean, when you're, when you're selling somebody on the integration of this data and relying on decision-making and, and uh, machine learning, et cetera, when the data's wrong, uh, that all falls apart. But let's go, into, let's go into the prize, which is really the transparency and automation, the AI, the machine learning, the real-time decisions and the actions that can be automated, the predictive powers as well. Let's, let's dive into that. Yeah, I, I think that ultimately, you know, AI, ML, we're just scratching the surface, right? Think about, think about what we're finally talking about these concepts. These aren't, these aren't necessarily new concepts, in the, at least, you know, universally. We're finally starting to talk about them in the supply chain in a way that can make, make and add a ton of value. And mm -hmm. so I, I think to your point, one of the biggest problems is how do you build AI or machine learn, learning modeling, right? And, and on top of bad data sets, you can't, right? If you, to your point, like if you have, you know, 50 versions of Walmart in your system, you know, how many times you deliver to Walmart? Walmart, I don't know which one, which Walmart are you talking about, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you predict sort of the schedule what it should be? I don't know which one. And so I think the, 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 the nature of bad data will compound sort of uh, bad AI, bad ML, bad, bad uh, sort of um, logic that tells the humans what to do or actually makes a decision on behalf of the human, which is even worse. And I think as soon as you put a platform or system or software in front of a human, when the data isn't relevant, that's when they don't trust the data, right? right? That's when they don't trust the, the you know, whatever the, the price is. Right. I remember for years we would we would use tools, and I uh, I told you my background. I've been logistics. This is my nineteenth year, and we would look at all the different pricing tools that were out there, and every single one of them had a different average price. I don't know. What do you trust? Right. So yeah. our guys would just would literally pick up the phone and just start calling trucks because they didn't trust the price that was sitting in front of them. And part of that comes to bad data sets. Part of it comes to lack of context of why the data is what it is, right? If it's four o'clock in the afternoon, it's the historical averages don't matter. I need to understand what supply and demand is at that very second. And so part of data sets to the, to the point of, um, I'm forgetting the person's name from IBM, around you know, how do we get more real-time data? And it's not just real-time data, Michael, it's real-time data with context. Yeah. Why is the data set what it is? And how do we apply those, those, those sort of contextual data points to ML and AI and all these models to help the human make the best decision for their organization? You've got to have that human sentiment uh, and the expert around those contexts, just exactly like you were talking about, right? To, to kind of, to, for that machine learning to take place, for that artificial intelligence to learn what these contexts are, or to produce this predictive nature and these decision makers there's a vast variety of data that needs to be in there. To your point, you can't just have 
a buck thirty-two a mile from point A to point B is what it's going for today. Why is it a buck thirty-two? Right. That's right. Because the human, the human's going to go talk to their customer, or the carrier, or vice versa. The carrier's going to talk to their customer, and they're going to say, "Hey, this is why it is what it is." Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's. I think it's about teaching teaching the machine what the intent of the human. Basically, what do they want to do? Right. Think about think about you know Watson trying to learn chess. The reason why he got so good at chess is because it over time it played so many games. It just knew all the basically all the strategies. Here's the same thing. The, the, the great thing about what we're talking about in terms of AI and ML, you're literally not only giving data, but you're having the human being saying yes or no. You're having the human being operationalize that data in the, within the system of record or operational system that we're using. And then guess what? You learn, right? If they pick one thing based off of the data that they've received, then the system now learns what to, what, you know, at what probability is a human going to do that again? And I think that's the kind of learnings that we want to do. But again, you can't you can't do all of that unless we really start cleansing, standardizing data, making sure that the data that's coming in front of them is the right data. And then you start with smaller, you know, sort of smaller data sets or smaller um, parts of the business, so you're not trying to impact the whole thing. You're you're getting it right and teaching the machine how to how to interpret it. Yeah, and I imagine there's a lot of trial and error in, in, in there because you've got to have, like you said, you have to have all those different contexts uh, in there. I mean, just I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking about just, just pricing and the machine, AI, machine learning doesn't understand that there is a bottom to the price. There's an operational cost to run that piece of equipment. Even that basic knowledge that you take for granted, machine doesn't know that unless you put that context into there. So building this out once we've crossed all those other, other hurdles is, is difficult. So um, we're seeing some efficiencies from this now. Am, am I correct? What's the future? What do you think there? We've got a, a couple minutes left here, Jeff. So uh, where are we at with this right now, in your opinion? What do you see out there? And, and what does the timeline look uh, forward? Are we going to see trucks autonomously being routed or even with a driver in them uh, next year? or ships, or what do you see? And I'm not talking about autonomous vehicles, but this machine learning based on these data sets here for the living, breathing uh, uh, supply chain. You know, my, uh, my oldest brother has the best line in the world for any question he gets that he, he's not 100% sure, right, what's gonna happen. <laughs> okay. He, he always says, we're closer than we've ever been, right? And, 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 That's a and good, I, safe answer. Well I, well, I think, and, and not to say one way or the other, because, you know, I do think, you know, companies are already building autonomous vehicles. You know, we have partners that, that literally are building autonomous vehicles. You can, you can see them not just in the U.S., but you can see them, you know, sort of being used in different parts of the world. Sure. And that's an interesting, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a drone that someone's operating uh, from a remote, remote control or they're, they're basically on a pattern. You know, we, we saw some tests where organizations are, are doing autonomous vehicles inside the ports, right? And that sort of clears out port congestion. It's only going to get better, Michael. Like it's only going to get, you know, people are going to get smarter. The machines are going to get smarter. And, and we're going to start seeing more of this autonomous nature. And you have to build sort of for that, that future. And it, right now it's going to be mostly, mostly human, right? The human's going to be doing this work. As we get more and more standardization across the industry, as we get better and better technology, you're going to see the machines start taking over a lot of the human work, 
right? You just are. That, that happens in any industry. Love it or hate it. The companies that do really, really well are the ones that will will evolve with the technology. The roles that their company might change, sort of how they do business might change. Their people might get more efficient. Their cost per transaction should go way down. I mean, I I look at our our customers, that, you know, or the prospects that that we talk to. Significant sort of. The, the amount of the amount of money they spend per transaction, then you know we can shrink that significantly. Hey, Jeff, so that, Jeff, that's going to happen. Jeff, we got a hard stop in about 15 seconds here, and I wanted okay. to thank you. Very interesting stuff. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'd love to have you on again. Everybody, thank you for watching Freight Forecasting Thursdays at four. Check out a different wave coming up with the John Kingston and Gerald Benton.